1: Happy Independence Day, America! For this episode of McCollum Wellness Radio, we are going to celebrate the 4th of July and talk about American history. Dr. McCollum's ancestors arrived in America in the early 1630s, 400 years ago, before America was even born. He grew up at a young age listening to stories of early American history firsthand from his own family's experiences. As a result of all this, he has written four historical fiction books. His first novel, The Adventures of Little Big Jim, dies into the life of a settler in the 1800s, crossing the Great Plains to California. After he makes it to California, he gets shanghaied on a ship heading to the Andes in South America and must do what he can to make his way back to his home and family in Monterey Bay. His second book, Coaling Station A portrays the rise and fall of an oil boomtown during what was called the Black Gold Rush. Kaleidoscope, his third publication, documents the life of a boy living in Carmel Valley who has been given a mysterious kaleidoscope from his uncle that brings him very close to his uncle's experiences fighting against the Germans in World War I. His most recent historical fiction novel, Journeys In, takes the same ship crew from the adventures of Little Big Jim abroad, crossing the Great Pacific Ocean to China in hopes to trade Jade from Big Sur for Chinese art, silks, tea, spices, and porcelain. Of course, the journey is not so simple as the crew faces reincarnated ancient Chinese gods, opium wars, corrupt officials, violent gangsters, and massive whales. I hope you enjoy this special episode that explores America's history and values, as well as the McCollum family's extensive history living in this beautiful country.
0: Buddy. Happy 4th of July, a day early. And of course, we were listening to the amazing Jimi Hendrix on his version and uh, the Star Spangled Banner. And what a great way to start the show! You know, uh, America is uh, live and, and growing and it's doing fantastic. Don't let anybody tell you different. All you have to do is change your mind and it will go the way you want it to go. I'm going to start the show by talking about a really amazing experience my family had about a week ago. And uh, we were in Austin, Texas, as hot as it could be and as uh, American as it could be and as hot as it could be. It was like, you know, humidity was tremendous and it was in the 90s high 90s but we were there for my mother-in-law's 100th birthday beth montgomery captain beth montgomery and it was amazing um she lives in a in an area uh, so it's kind of a small park and um her two of her sisters are there uh elizabeth my wife is there right now and uh but they found out that she was going to turn 100 years old and that she was a captain in the WAC, the World, w- Women's Army Corps, during World War II. So they decided to throw a party for her. And I'll tell you, now, my mother-in-law, Beth, is pretty tough cookie. I've known her for almost 27 years, and I've never seen her cry a tear. But I could have sworn I got, she got a little misty this day. Um, they had the honor guard show up. There were six of ex-military dressed, you know, all dressed in the honor guard that presented the colors. Uh, they played Star Spangled Banner, not by Jimi Hendrix. And then we all said the Pledge of Allegiance, and they set the flag, American flag. And then the Texas flag. Now, Texas, Texas doesn't mess around. They just, the... the uh, They said something like, we're all Texans and we're Americans and, you know, nobody messes with us. And then they stuck the flag in there and it was pretty amazing. Another special thing that happened was that there is a Women's uh, Society of Valor, which makes quilts for veterans. And they found out about the fact that Beth was turning 100. So they they, uh, made a quilt for her and they showed up, about eight of them. And they then presented her with a quilt that they make only for veterans. And they wrapped it around her and the um, honor guard was there next to her. It was amazing. I mean, I never, I mean, listen, I'm a very patriotic person. I think our country is amazing. And uh, that, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And I still even talking about it today, get Misty over it because of, you know, you think about, my mother-in-law's generation is called the greatest generation. And so many people today have no idea what that is, why it is. And, uh, you know, so I thought today I would dedicate my show to our country and just talk about some of the things that have affected me throughout my life and the United States. And, you know, my, uh, I was looking through some of our family records this morning And the first uh, one of my generation was named Thomas Orton, and he got to Connecticut. The first record is 1636. So in 1636, Thomas um, Orton got to America from England a few years after the Mayflower. And what was really interesting is uh, in Texas, it's pretty hot, and and at this uh, trailer park, we met uh, the owner who invited us to his lake. Lake House. So w- several of us went to the Lake House. Well, it was too hot to be in the Lake House, so we just walked into the lake and we sat there for about an hour and a half visiting. And ta- uh, and this guy Travis, the lake was called Lake Travis, and his name was Lake Tra- or it was Travis. He said to me, "You probably don't know anybody who's uh, goes back as far as uh, in the United States as me." And I go, "Well, I'll, I'll you know I'll take that bet." And he goes, "Well, I'm part of the Jamestown." Uh, second generation, we got here in 1610. I go, He well, got me beat by 20 years. But it was really interesting to talk to this fellow. His family came from England, the Sprouls, and they were all maritime um, ship captains. So that I believe that means they can take any vessel on any of the seven seas, and he is too. And they've been doing that back from the days of the pirates. And uh, it, it, some of his family sailed for... England, of course, back in those days, but it was really interesting talking to him because he was in Panama with the Noriega Noriega Times, Um, and you know he said you don't know what it's like uh, until you are taken prisoner by pirates on your own ship, and you've got you know guns to your head telling you that you will do this or do that, and he goes somehow we got out of it. What's really interesting is my mother-in-law Beth was born in Panama in 19, eight, 1921 so I, I mentioned that to him and he's excited to talk to her about that and um, Beth also lived in China in tianjin in about 1933 her father was a colonel in uh, World War I and World War II but our country is founded on the blood and sweat of our ancestors and I think that's missed so much in our country today Uh, I was uh, speaking to a new friend via email this morning, and she had mentioned that she's a fourth-generation Californian. I said, well, I have you beat. I'm a fifth-generation Californian. Now, it doesn't matter if you got to this country in 1636 like my ancestor Thomas Orton did or my uh, great-great-great-grandfather James McDougall got here in the early 1800s or the McCollums that were here before the Revolutionary War, or last week. You know, I believe that getting here and becoming a citizen and getting here honestly and legally is important to keep our country strong. But I think that it's really important for us to take a look at where we are today and, and how many of our values are lost. If you don't know how hard people fought to get this country going, then you don't have the values it would take to keep our country going. So I thought that today I would, I would just kind of tell a few stories just for fun. I'm going to be a little selfish today, which I, I usually am not talking about myself or my family, but I want to do that today. My uh, great, great grandfather, James McDougall, Uh, was a constable in Scotland in the 1800s, and he arrested on some fluke an English nobleman for a law infraction. I'm assuming he was probably intoxicated in public and what came down to my great-great-grandpa was that he was embarrassed, was made to repent or, or you know, apologize for arresting this English nobleman. Well, being a proud Scot, he would have none of it, and he told his wife, Maggie, Maggie, have heaven enough her moving to the new country. And she says, okay, that's fine, Jamie, but you're taking our eldest son with you. So he went and got a job on a... Um, a ship, a galley or whatever they're called, galleon, going to the new country and he was a cook, but he smuggled his youngest or his oldest son, uh, Daniel James, um, onto the ship and his son was, um, I think he was like seven or eight years old. And so, he had him hide, and then after a few days, he came out, the boy did, and uh, he said, don't let anybody know you're my son, and he did not and the captain uh, took to the boy, and for the journey across the Atlantic Ocean, um, he was his cabin boy, Well, as soon as they got to Ellis Island and beyond, uh, he grabbed the boy and headed to Illinois. Soon, he um, discovered that, you know, he wanted to get to the new country, so or excuse me, to California. So he and his wife, who he had brought over later on a different boat and a couple of his children, um, got, uh, purchased a ox cart, put everything they owned in the ox cart and started the trek across the United States. This was 1849, 1850. And in those days you walked because you couldn't sit in the ox cart because it's filled with everything that you owned. And the journey across the United States was uh, periling. And there were stories that I know that they're written down in my family records. Uh, One funny story is they got to a river and uh, they had to swim across the river. And there was a gentleman, actually not quite a gentleman, he was not very savory fellow, who didn't know how to swim. And he asked if uh, my Grandpa's family would help him cross the river, which they did, holding onto a board. And uh, they let him out on the other side. And and I think they gave him a horse and some food and he took off. But also they had to dry all of their uh, clothing. And uh, my great-great-grandmother at the time um, took off her bloomers and put them on uh, some brush to dry. Well, along came some Indians, friendly Indians apparently... And they, uh, the chief li- took a liking to the bloomers and wanted to trade them for something. So he ended up wearing the bloomers or getting the bloomers. And I don't know what my grandma got in return, but it was quite a funny story. So anyway, they, they got to um, Monterey in 1850. He became the first marshal of Monterey, uh, James McDougall. they ended up and excuse me of salinas ended up opening the family open banks there which is now the wells fargo bank in salinas and a lot of different things but um it's a pretty interesting story my his daughter bella mcdougall who's my great grandmother um in her writings of the world war of the civil war was a caption she wrote and the mustard was so high, you could scarcely see the hat of a cowboy as he rode his horse along the bank of the Salinas River. So you can imagine how fertile the Salinas Valley was at that time, that the, the wild uh, mustard would grow so high that you couldn't even see a cowboy's hat on his horse. So at any rate, that's what we, how we got to the Monterey Bay several generations ago. Um, what was really interesting is my, uh, my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, bought some land up in Carmel Valley, and they would go up to the river every, um, every summer. They would take apart their stove, their uh, wood-burning stove that was their kitchen stove, put it on a um, flatbed drawn by horses and draw it up to the Carmel River, put it back together again and stay there for a month on the river. But originally, uh, James Daniel McDougall bought some property up there and he had some pigs. So uh, he was moving the pigs from one pasture to another. And um, the pigs ate some mushrooms that ended up being bad and they killed them. So he decided to sell the property. He was kind of fed up with it, moved back to Salinas. Uh, So he sold the the land to the brother of a guy named Tabucha Vasquez. And Tabucha Vasquez was a notorious outlaw of the time that would ride from Casserville to Watsonville to Santa Cruz to Gilroy. And he would basically, he was a, uh, they always said that he played a guitar and he was a woman's man. And, um, you know, he was a bandit that stole from the rich and, you know, of course gave to whoever he wanted to. But, uh, so that was the story Another interesting part of it is one day the gen- the very person that they helped across the river, showed up um, at the at the ranch in Carmel, and he was, you know, very very scared. He said, um, "I need a horse. The people are after me." So my great great grandfather, being who he was, gave him a horse, gave him some food, and sent him on his way. Later that day, he was going into town, and he found the man hung by a tree. So apparently, he was a thief that everything finally caught up with them. So that's the story of of one part of my family. And in fact, what I'm going to do today is I've written six books, which a lot of you probably know. That book called, the first book is called The Adventures of Little Big Jim. And um, that story about coming across the plains in the eighteen hundreds, this the uh, the adventures of Little Big Jim is based off of that story, off of my family, and uh, I'm going to be giving one of those away, um, and uh, I'm going to give one each. I to give six books away, one of each, at a certain time, and uh, right now, since. Dave's there. The fifth caller will get the book, Adventures of Little Big Jim. You can come by my office in Capitola to pick it up. So if, uh, Dave, you don't mind just writing down their information, and I'll announce it, but um, that will be the first book. So I'm going to take a short break now, and I really appreciate you being here. Um, I hope you don't mind me sharing something about myself and our country and, and how, why I'm it's so endearing to me. So here we go, and I'll be back in a minute. This is Dr. McCollum. I have this amazing guy, Gary, here, who's a new patient to our office. And he just came up to the front and started talking about stuff, and I wanted you to just express what you were telling us.
2: Hi, Dr. McCallum. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name's Gary McKinney. I live in Seaside. I listen to uh, KSCO on Saturdays, and I heard Dr. McCallum has a phenomenal show at 1 Mm o'clock on KSCO. Yeah. So please check him out sometime. But uh, the real reason is... uh, I've been a, a client of Dr. Uh, Dr. McCollum for 10 days now, and I feel like I've been with him, with him in his office for well over, you know, all my life. The the everyone that works at the office is so helpful and so friendly. Uh, it really feels like a family. He's not just joking when he says that he, he that they welcome you and and uh, and, uh, and is able to take care of every need. I came in. Uh, for TRT treatment, which is a tissue regenerative therapy, which is phenomenal, and uh, you know, it's a little bit it's a little bit costly, but I mean, what price are you are you willing to pay for not being healthy? Because that everything affects everything else, and uh, the TRT has already made a difference in my life. But but what is really satisfying to me is coming here and meeting fine people like Natalie, which is Dr. McCallum's daughter. And uh, frequently she's the uh, utility player running around the office. And she, uh, she always, you can always tell that Natalie's on the phone because she will always say, McCallum Chiropractic, I can help you. And you know what, she can and she does. And it just it makes my heart jump uh, just to realize uh, there's such h- helpful and friendly people in the office. Everyone from Angus who runs the TRT machine, uh, the other chiropractors in the office, and the uh, administrative staff like uh, Miriam and and, uh, Arlene, they're very friendly and very helpful. You you never have to follow up on everything. They send you messages uh, a day before uh, your appointments. It makes it so seamless, so bulletproof, just to be in a safe place where you can rely on treatment and uh, and if you, if you have a problem, Dr. McCallum will go the extra mile to make it happen. And not, not the least of which, uh, Dr. McCallum, besides a chiropractor, he's a naturopath. So he's one dangerous dude in the health realm because there's all sorts of alternative methodologies he's, he's, he's using. he also has his, his finger on the pulse of detoxification from 5G and things of that nature, which he'll be willing to share with you as he's collecting the data uh, he's also a master of detoxification of heavy metals and things of that nature and uh, he has a very extensive survey to fill out so that he could help you better on that and i'm looking forward to the detox process as well so uh, uh, this is all unsolicited dr mckellen asked me to just say a few words i could go on and on because i feel so comfortable here if you want to feel comfortable at a chiropractor's office, come to Dr. McCallum. He's in conveniently located off of 41st Avenue, <laughs> and uh, come on down. They're
0: waiting for you. <laughs> thank, you so yeah. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for commenting on that. So this is Dr. Duncan McCallum, McCallum Wellness Radio, and... Um, uh, So we have a winner of the first book, Joe Salinas. I don't know if that means you're from Salinas or um, last name Salinas. And um, so what I wanna do now is go on to a little bit more about the history of my family. This is actually where the historical fiction comes in. But I had a patient named Gary and Gary was an amazing guy, a different Gary. And uh, he, uh, he brought his daughter in one day and, uh, you know, you look at Gary and you go, man, where'd this guy come from? He looked like he just came out of the mountains as a, a gold miner. And it ended up that he kind of did, but he was a jade miner in, um, Big Sur and little known to me that there were amazing jade mines in Big Sur and still are. And if you've been down there, you've probably seen him. And he started telling me of a guy named Blanco Diablo and, uh, because I was telling them about my first book, *The Adventures of Little Big Jim*, and how Little Big Jim had, you know, been shanghaied on a ship and was taken down to the South America. I won't just won't ruin the book for you. But on the way back, they ended up uh, because of um, my understanding of *Blanco Diablo*, which means white devil. Um, what Gary had told me that Blanco was actually a a miner up in. Big sir as well, a jade miner, and he gave me a picture of him. And he had a beard about, you know, two feet long, white beard. And um, he said that Blanco was a really ornery fellow, which you can get by the name. But at one point, probably in the 60s or 70s, um, the. Uh, Forest Service and the government didn't want Blanco living up there in Big Sur anymore because, you know, it was a state park or what have you. And uh, so they went up to try to get Blanco, and he lived in a, a little shack. You could probably see holes through the slats in the wood. And they tried to, you know, tell Blanco to get out of there, and Blanco just held them off with a gun. And, uh, you know, and actually there's a gentleman who has a, a major jade uh Store down in Big Sur that I confirmed the story with. He was actually there when this happened, and Blanco held off the um, the Forest Service and wh- whoever else, you know, just not letting them get their jump their claim or jump his claim, so to speak. So uh, they left, let Blanco live out his life up there in that little cabin up in Big Sur with his jade. But it inspired my second book called Journey's End, and Journey's End was. Uh, went to, was the ship, got loaded up with jade. And the that's the, the name of the ship that Little Big Jim was on. It's the second book in the series. And they f- tried to figure out where they could sell jade. And of course it was China. So they ended up going to China in um, 1864. There was a lot going on right there. The uh, last emperor was about to die, which left his wife, who was... Uh, the Dowager Cixi, C-I-X-I, in charge. And so the last male emperor had just died at that time. And then the young the young emperor was a kid and not, um, not viable enough to take over the helm. And uh, so at any rate, they took the jade there and they ended up running into a lot of the folklore of the deities of... China and that had been around for ten thousand years, and I had to do a lot of research through all of the different dynasties, through Taoism and Confucianism, Confucianism, and uh, put together this amazing story called *The Journey's End*. So that book is really fun. I, there's so much. In fact, I had a gentleman read the book who was from China. He contacted me and he goes, how do you know all this research? He goes, I've looked up everything you said in this book and it's all true, but I've never learned it. And I grew up in China. Where did it come from? I go, well, you know, to be honest with you, it's me sitting on my couch first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee in my pajamas researching down a rabbit hole about the China dynasties, the Qing dynasty and stuff. So it was really fun. So he's translated three of my books completely into Mandarin. So uh, one of these days I'll get them published and um, it's just a pretty pretty amazing time and that was the last dynasty, the Qing dynasty, Q-I-N-G dynasty and my book talks about that. So Journey's End, we'll give a copy of Journey's End away to the fourth caller Anybody who wants to get that book, please call. But the story about um, Blanco Diablo I thought was really interesting. And, you know, it, at that time, there were, in the story, at the time that I tell, put him in the story earlier, um, it was a very interesting time. The United States was still young, and there, the Wild West was still pretty wild. Which brings me to my third book, which is called Coaling Station A, which is about Colinga. You might have been driving south on Highway uh, 5 and you see a sign that says Colinga, which is very close to uh, where the Harris Ranch is with all the cattle. Well, Colinga was named after Coaling Station A. There were three different um, coal stations for the train, the, for the train to, to uh, fuel up along the way, going from north to south, and uh, Coaling Station A was one of them. Well, somebody, they had a little town there. In fact, in uh, the early, the turn of the century, 1900, oil was discovered in Colinga or around Coaling Station A. So a little town came up. Well, it ended up being the largest oil strike in history at the time and so kalinga became a boom town and somebody came into town and or came up and said hey where's kalinga and go well what's kalinga well it says right here on the sign no it says Colling station a but yet the town of kalinga was born out of that time and um my grandfather had told me some amazing stories because he was the editor of the paper in 1910 and calling Koli- and there's something called roughnecks they're the uh guys that work the oil um, rigs. And uh, my grandpa was just looking at some of his uh, writings today, and he said in his first week in Kalinga, he reported on two, two shootings, two murders, a knifing, and a brawl in the local bar on 5th Street. It was called Whiskey Row, was 5th Street. That was the main part of town. And so that was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting time. So I decided to write a story about it. And um, I'm going to read a poem that my grandpa wrote in 1930 about the fire that took place on, on Whiskey Row in, uh, in the 19, I think it was 1915, and burned it down. So uh, this is called, Whiskey Row has been laid low by a fire of unknown cause. To this tale, this tale is told of a hero bold, one of the city's law. He happened to be on his beat at three when the fire first broke out. The sleepy heads all left their beds when they heard his warning shout. He spread the news midst the smoke and the booze along the famous row. How they swarmed from their hives in the whiskey dives was everything but slow. But one poor dame in her life of shame failed to hear the call. She was still in there mid the smoke and the flare when the house began to fall. Walt faced the crowd and shouted aloud, giving a curt salute. Is there none who dare to climb the stair to rescue a prostitute? They all looked scared and no one dared. Then Walt, Walt turned towards the dive. And dashed inside, and the people cried, You'll never come out alive. Ten minutes passed, and then Walt at last came staggering out the door. Safe in his charm, state in the charm of his manly arms, he held the naked whore. This is the naked truth of the case when out of the smoky screen, the flames he braved and the life he saved was the lady that's known as Jean. I sing his praise I sing the praise of this guy named Hayes he's the hero of the day in his official duty he saved the booty and let's raise the blighters pay so anyway that was a poem by my grandpa um, he was born in 1883 and died in 1980 and he uh, very well known for in Kalinga but that and a few other stories that he told me uh, led me to write the book called Culling Station A. All these books can be found on Amazon, by the way. Um, and it's a murder mystery. Um, I think it's, I love this book. It, it goes into a lot of different stories that happened. There's a guy named, um, let's see, Dryhole Charlie, because he was a miner that never hit a claim. He would dug so many mines and he never hit it. And uh, finally he hit one and it ended up being the biggest oil strike in history at the time, the biggest um, oil uh, well at the time, I guess. So anyway, this is a murder mystery. I think you'll like it. I'm going to go ahead and give it away. Um, Caller number six for Calling Station A. Caller number six. Anybody want that book? I'd be more than happy to get it to you. You can come by my office and get it or call my office and we'll send it to you. But I'd love for you to have it. All right, so getting back to our country, um, I was, I'd mentioned the gentleman, my great-great-grandfather who came across on a ship. He was the first marshal of Salinas. He had a brood of children. One of his sons was Daniel McDougall. And uh, when the Civil War started, he was part of the sea troop uh, of the uh, cavalry in California. And he decided that he was going to join the North and he was going to go fight for the North in um, the Civil War. And his story is that what he had to do to get there is he got on a ship that took him all the way down to Panama. And then they went across the Isthmus of Panama a mule and got another ship to to sail them up to Washington DC or New York and uh, He talks about how bad the food was on the ship and how much they were complaining and at one point he, They told the captain if you don't give us better food we're throwing everything overboard and the food didn't get any better and he said we threw everything overboard and and um, Kind of a funny story I I wish I would have Found the book I would have I read you that story But it's pretty interesting So But he got to New York He was out in front Of the White House At one point They had just got off Of a six week run Chasing um, Mosley around He says General Mosley Of the South And he said He was slicker Slicker than a gopher Because we couldn't Catch him And uh, He said that uh, They were standing out In front of the White House And old Abe came out And And Abe started talking to him and some of his other troops, and he asked where they were from. And my great-great-uncle Daniel McDougall said, Well, uh, we're from California, but I want to let you know we haven't ate in a week. And old Abe took a dollar out of his pocket and gave that dollar to my uncle Daniel McDougal so he could go buy a watermelon and feed his friends. So pretty interesting story. But some of the stuff he talks about, about being in the Civil War and, uh, you know, the mud and the rain and, you know, the, what you have to do to your fellow Americans in order to try to, you know, do what's right for the world was pretty devastating. And it was there. And I've, I've read it. I won't talk about it on the air. But so little, has, you know, I think that the last few generations don't really have a clue on what it took to get our country to where it is. And we're being, they're being taught that our country is evil, that our country is, I don't know what it is, you know, but all I know is it's the greatest nation in the world to live in. And I respect it uh, tremendously. And I, I hope for and pray for my kids that they're able to raise their families here in a free America where you have the right to speech, the right to bear arms and everything that our country is here for. And, uh, you know, tomorrow we celebrate, again the fourth of july and i i'm i rip my hats off to our country and i you know i'm there may be people that have different opinions than me and that's fine but i still believe we live in the best country in the world so we're going to take another commercial break right on time so take it away david thank you Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and I have this amazing patient, Gayleen, here, who walked into our office. Well, barely walked into her office, and she'd had uh, a lot of attempts and tried to fix her health, and she's had some tremendous changes here. So um, I was wondering if you would like to just tell our audience about that.
3: Well, and like Dr. McCollum said, I came into the office in December hardly able to walk and bent over. And within three visits, I was standing up straight, walking. I, I couldn't believe it. That's never happened to me before. It's very been been a very um, rough <laughs> road, but we're getting there, and I'm very grateful.
0: Yeah, and you had two back surgeries as well, right?
3: Yes, I did. Yep, in uh, nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety five.
0: Yeah. And so they didn't really solve your problem?
3: No, they didn't.
0: And you came in, we did some stem cell treatments on you and some chiropractic on you, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're happy?
3: I'm happy. Everyone here is just awesome. They're all here to help you, they're all so sweet. And uh, I'm glad I came here.
0: Thank you so much, Gaylene, and um, I just really appreciate you being here as well. You're oh. such a pleasure when you come in. Thanks. So um, you should listen to Gaylene, see if we can help your health. That's
3: right. Anyone that needs help, please come
4: in.
0: Thank you. Hey, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and I have this amazing patient, Lauren, here, and she had a few things to say.
4: Hi, I'm Lauren Spencer, a local realtor, and I've been seeing Duncan for years now. I had a biking accident, and he's been adjusting me since then, and it's been amazing. But lately, I've had trouble with my feet, and I'm an avid walker, avid biker, avid uh, golfer, and uh, my feet were aching all the time. And I tried Duncan's TRT machine, which is an amazing stem cell machine that rejuvenates uh, the cells and my feet i've had like three or four um, sessions with the machine and my feet are like new no aches no pains it's a miracle so i really highly recommend duncan and his chiropractic services but also that trt machine you got to try it
0: thanks <laughs> wow thanks lauren that was awesome so we still have the 49 special come on in and see if it works for you thank you Okay, well, Jimi Hendrix is trying to play there in the background, but I think it's a little bit too feedbacky for us. He's, of course, playing the national anthem that he rolled out at Woodstock so many years ago, a turning point for our country back in the 80s, excuse me, the 60s, 66, or 68, I think it was. I was a young man in um, Berkeley at the time. And talk about our country, there was a lot going on with the Vietnam War then, and a lot of... uh, a lot of people died because of whatever political issues were going on during the time. And the youth of the day had a reason to be upset. And, you know, we did overcome, but uh, it, was, it was really terrible because the guys that uh, I remember my brother's friends that were a couple years older than me, um, it was a, coming out of an age of innocence and an age of, you know, the, the 50s where we listened to rock and roll and everybody had these really great cars. And then the 60s came and, and all of a sudden there, were, there was a lot more drugs come on the scene that ended up being, you know, I won't go into where they came from on this show, but um, a lot of beautiful young men were, uh, had, had made, were made to go to war by the draft now when world war ii happened our country was was you know attacked in pearl harbor and uh there were so many it was on a sunday for those of you who don't know and you know a lot of people probably don't a lot of the youth don't know what happened um a lot of the men were going to worship whatever they did that day in pearl harbor when it was bombed by china or excuse me by japan and um my dad, as it turned out, was a captain in the naval intelligence, was mysteriously flown out of, of uh, Hawaii, Honolulu, three days before the attack. And it took him 50 years before he told me that he was flown out because they knew the attack was coming. And uh, at least he alluded to that. And he lived to be 91, amazing guy. But, um, you know, at the, that time, whole football teams would volunteer to go fight the war in, you know, the South Pacific, and the war in, you know, um, in England or over in Europe, and um, oftentimes none of them would come back. That was a time where young men volunteered to save our country because it was the right thing to do. Vietnam War was a little different, but yet when the young people protested and then the war finally stopped, the veterans that came home were treated very poorly, um, by the very, by their own peers, the people, their own age. Um, some of them went because they felt it was their duty because they were drafted and it was a, it was a hard time. And there's still a lot of the vets walking the streets today that are not doing very well. And You know, I think we just need to have a little empathy and realize, again, that these this is part of what made our country our country. Maybe everything that we've done hasn't been correct as a country, and maybe there's been some vested interest by big money here and there, but regardless, our country is still the greatest country in the world to live in. And uh, you can can believe your cup is half full or half empty, but I'm telling you one thing, the only way to make this country and this world great again is to make this country and this world great again. You have to wake up and love this country and, and decide what can I do to make it a better place today? Who can I help? Who can I serve? There's a lot of people out there that are very negative and I really encourage you to stay away from them and start to ask yourself and those around you, what can I do for you? What can I do to make your life better today? You know, I, I, I am in a service business. I love taking care of people. And you've heard some of my patients talk on the show today and talk about feeling better. And, you know, that's my goal is to change people's lives for the better. Okay, so the fifth book in the series A Little Big Jim is called Kaleidoscope. And it's a World War I book. Um, no, uh, story about uh, after, and I just saw this morning as I was going through my great, my grandfather, the, the guy who was uh, the editor of the Kalinga record during the uh, calling station A, his younger brother was Charles, Uncle Charles. Uncle Charles was a pilot in World War I. I knew him briefly uh, he was born again in 19, 1892, but uh, I did get a chance to meet him a few times growing up, and I was very impressed by him, and uh, he still would wear his naval flight jacket uh, now and then. So Kaleidoscope is a story of um, the Wright brothers. Uh, Uncle Charles loved the Wright brothers. He was born in Salinas, of course, fascinated by flight, and when uh, World War One started, he found out that um, France, before the United States was in the war, France was hiring pilots, and they would teach him how to fly. So he went to France, and he became a pilot in France. And uh, luckily for him, he was raised in a ranch in Carmel Valley. He learned all of the survival mechanisms from some of the local natives. And when he got shot down behind enemy lines into the German, in the German area, uh, across the Somme river in France, he had to learn to survive. And, uh, what's really interesting. Uh, one of the, my patients was telling me that she was going up to visit her family in, um, hi, Irene. Um, he was saying that he was going up to f- visit his family and her family in, um, Clear Lake. And I, I knew who uh, she was going to visit because I grew up with her cousins. And um, I said, I'm going to give you a book to give to Steve uh, Patmont. And so I picked Kaleidoscope and I gave it to her and she said, you know, his uncle was shot down, was on the last day of World War II, his uncle was shot down and uh, he's been very, very fascinated with that story. So the fact that I picked my World War I Kaleidoscope flight book was very um, apropos to that. So if anybody wants this book, caller number six for Kaleidoscope and i those are the four books that I have written so far in historical fiction. This morning I was working on the Mar*, which is called The Sea Witch, which is the book number three that comes right after Journey's In*. Um, hopefully I will get back on the shtick and get that thing written and out in about two or three months so that uh, anybody that had been following the series can jump in there. Any of the books is a standalone book, but it's really fun to start from The Adventures of Little Big Jim and Read Forward. Again, all of them are um, on Amazon, Duncan McCollum. You can find them all. So um, at any rate, you know, I, I just kind of want to come up to present time in our country. Um, we've come out of uh, cyber war with the pandemic. Um, it has been something that has affected every American and everybody on earth, really. Um, I was speaking to somebody here at the radio show earlier today about uh, a lot of different and I, they are strong opinions given as fact are being um, talked about um, on the air, um, on any everywhere, and whether it's this station or the news media. And um, the fact, the true fact is that we don't know. So there's real strong evidence to show Um, where this pandemic came from, Um, whether or not it's going to come back in another force is probably likely. But the point is that, I guess the point is it doesn't really matter except that we move forward. We do what's right. We have a constitution here that gives rights to everybody. And there's a lot of dogma out there being spewed, telling uh, people that they have to do what they're told. And uh, this is exactly what the dumbing down of America is, to sit down, do what you're told, don't ask questions. Um, But remember, we are a free country or a free nation. The United States is built on the blood of my ancestors and many of your ancestors and mine for many generations and many of yours for generations. Some of the new Comers that have come to this country have come here for opportunity. And uh, your rights as a new citizen of the United States are as important as mine. And um, the reason people want to come to this country is because it is great. But there are factions that are being... um, put out there for quite a long time once they realized they couldn't take us overtly there's a covert efforts to take our country down or to take our freedoms away and there's a lot of big money out there that wants to do it um national you know the one world order that dave nori was talking about for years and all this kind of stuff you know just open up your eyes and 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 demand that you have your rights as granted by the, the people that fought for us. You know, as I was studying the Chinese dynasties, there were great dynasties that about 10,000 year history of all those different dynasties. And, um, you know, they all lasted about 300 years and uh, not much longer than that um, before another faction took over. And, you know... Greece lasted about 300 years. Rome lasted about 300 years. The Dark Ages lasted for who knows how long. Well, the United States is coming up to about 300 years. Are we going to let it fall because of uh, everything that's being um, done to it and to us and to the world for money? Uh, I hope not. I hope that we stand together. So in the last couple minutes, I just want to talk about What I do as a profession, I'm a chiropractor and a cellular healing specialist. I'm a functional medicine doctor. I work with Dr. Dan Pampa and some of my best friends um, are chiropractors, medical doctors, acupuncturists, health coaches. We all met in uh, Tulum, which is the ruins in Mexico, in May, early May, to talk about what we can do to help the world. Um... We know that the body can heal itself. It's healed itself forever. And uh, again, in the words of the great Dr. Reggie Gold, one of the greatest chiropractors who ever lived, he says, nature needs no help. It just needs no interference. Interference comes in several ways. One is physical. You know, when you fall off a roof or get hit by a car or, you know, get hit playing sports, it's going to knock those structure out of place and, and impede the nerves which communicate to every one of the 75 trillion cells in your body, and no matter what kind of medicine you do or herbs you take, until you get the pressure off the nerve and restore proper communication from the brain, from the body to the brain, you'll never get well. I mean, a lot of, I think even the other day, I had a patient say their medical doctor said, don't go to a chiropractor, they don't know what they're doing. You know, that's illegal for him to say that. According to the U.S. Supreme Court, the AMA was found guilty of first trying to contain and eliminate chiropractic from the United States. It was a lawsuit that went on for 20 years. Finally, up to U.S. Supreme Court, said they cannot do that anymore. Unfortunately, the damage was done. Only 5% of the people in the United States see chiropractors on a regular basis. I encourage you to do two things, and I'm going to give my book, New Hope for Sciatica, away, Poor Mike, poor Dave Michaels, I'm just keeping him busy here. New Hope for Sciatica is going to talk to you about structure and what you can do in order to get your body healthy again without drugs. Now, I'm not advocating that you do anything without, you know, talking to your medical doctor if he's got you on something, but I really encourage you to find out about these things yourself. And uh, so... That book is A New Hope for Sciatica. Caller number six again. It's just lucky number six. Um, If anybody wants that book, please call. And then my last and final book so far is called Turn Back Your Biological Clock. And this book talks about the fact that there's 87,000 chemicals that we've made in the last 150 years and that these chemicals get in our body and our, sometimes our liver can't figure out how to get rid of them fast enough. And um, so it gets polluted. It causes chronic inflammation in our body. Chronic toxicity causes chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation causes chronic disease. 80 million Americans are suffering from multiple cho- chronic diseases, which means three or more and for over three months. And uh, diabetes, 60% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic, all reversible, if caught soon enough by diet and exercise alone, according to the National Institute of Health. But what if you were able to get the heavy metals and toxins out of your body? The number one source of lead poisoning in your body comes from your mother, four generations down through the umbilical blood. Lead toxicity, the number one mental Symptom associated with lead toxicity is depression. How many people suffer from depression? How many people are on medications for depression? And mercury toxicity is another one that comes from the metal in our mouth, the vaccines that we get, the uh, fish that we eat. You can't even eat more than one fish in the Sierras if you're in childbearing years because the mercury that was put in there by the gold miners, mercury took gold out of the ore. So again, mercury—the number one cause of um, one number one symptom of mercury—this is is anxiety. So you have anxiety from mercury and depression from lead, but nobody's testing for it. They're just drugging these poor people, these poor kids, and these poor adults with mind-altering drugs that are like um, chemical handcuffs our straight jackets that are changing personalities. So there's so much that can be done. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for KSCO. It's a great station. Tell your friends about it. It's to be, it's here for you. um, And I really appreciate everybody. Turn back your biological clock. Caller number one, if anybody wants it. I'll be here next week. Thanks for listening. I hope this was a fun and different show for you. Thanks for uh, listening to me. And... uh, All the stories about my family. We'll go out with Jimi Hendrix. We'll see you next week.